0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of HPO. And on today's show, I am going to first give a bit of an update into some future guests and some topics that I'll be diving into for some future episodes, as well as doing a dive into kind of how things went for me at the Tunnel Hill 100, which was Kind of a, an exciting event for me mainly because it was a kind of return to racing after an injury and for those who've been following me or following me for quite some time i've been really fortunate with injuries so i just haven't had to navigate these waters in any big way historically throughout my ultra running career i had one other injury back in 2017 that i had to cancel a big event for uh, but other than that this was the only other time so getting kind of the confirmation as to where things are at with that is, is an important piece to that. So we'll jump into some of that stuff as well as just kind of how the day went from from a racing standpoint. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to give folks a little bit of an update as to what is to come. So I just recorded a couple episodes with my friends over at uh, super Training gym or some of you may know as the Mark Bells power project team. Uh, Mark Bell came on and did an episode with me. I really wanted to talk to Mark because Mark is one of the more curious guys I know, and he is not afraid to dip his toe into things that would be considered a huge weakness for him. And for someone who's as successful as Mark, both in the world of business and in the world of athletics, I mean, he's held world records in powerlifting, he's competed at a professional level in bodybuilding, and and all sorts of stuff, as well as putting together a multi-million dollar business. He wanted to kind of like really understand running more. And he even decided to go out and do uh, a 50-mile walk one day a few weeks back. So I wanted to see how things went with him with that and what his takeaway was. Uh, his co-host, uh, Nseema Inyang, I've been wanting to talk to for quite some time now, uh, basically since he started co-hosting with Mark, because EnSEma is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to like strength and fitness in general and kind of like mark he's a very curious guy so he dives into all sorts of different things like he's getting quite good at jiu he's a natural bodybuilder uh very strong had a background in soccer when he was younger he's uh does nature walks all sorts of different things so he's a, a really interesting guy i'm um, looking forward to kind of hearing his take on a lot of different topics that we talk about frequently on this show and then i'm going to kind of skew back a little more specifically towards running and have mark kukazella come on the show Uh, mark came on the show a while back but he is uh someone who's very knowledgeable in the world of like mechanics in terms of how like you know running form and stuff is going to impact your your injury prevention and things like that he's also been someone who has i think it was 30 consecutive years. I'll have to ask him to remind me. So I think he had 30 consecutive years where we ran a sub-three hour marathon. Uh he's done a huge chunk of that on a low carbohydrate diet. So I'll have plenty to talk to with Mark. Uh finally, then I'll be doing a a, an episode with a guy named Aaron Alexander. I met Aaron in Austin a few months back through uh through one of my friends, Justin Wren. And Aaron is just really dialed in to like the way the body moves. So whether it's strength running, whatever activity you're doing, he's just a wealth of knowledge in kind of what you're maybe gonna have to fight from an uphill battle by doing an activity at, at a high degree uh, and what to maybe do about it and things like that. He's worked with uh, some big names in, uh, in, in athletics and as well as like celebrities. Uh, I believe he trained uh, Toby McGuire and uh, Gerald Butler. So uh, he'll be an interesting guy to talk to. Uh, so that's kind of what I got coming up and I'm excited to talk to all these folks. We have kind of a wide range of different uh, topic interests within that group, but I'll definitely try to bring in some running aspect with all of them to some shape or form, just to hear what their their perception is with it, whether they, they participate in it heavily or not. All right, folks, one way to support the HPO podcast is through our show sponsors. So sponsoring this show are my friends at Optimizers with their product, Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium Breakthrough is the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. There are actually seven unique forms, and if you're looking for the calming, sleep-enhancing effects, getting all seven of them is the best way to do it. I'll take two of these before bed at night, try to make sure I get a calm night's sleep. I also love this product because Optimizers offers a 360 day money back guarantee. So you can try it out risk free and if it doesn't work for you, send it back and get your money back. Uh, if you're interested head over to buyoptimizers.com forward slash human and enter promo code human 10 that's human one zero for 10 percent off your next order like always with all the show sponsors you can also head to zackbetter.com forward slash hpo sponsors to get a list of all the links and discounts available from show sponsors also a quick Announcement: I do have my ready-made coaching plans up on my website. So, if you are getting ready to target a race, either in early 2022 or somewhere down the road, you need a little extra guidance. Following my training philosophy, you can head to my website at zackbitter.com and check out some options that I have from five kilometers all the way up to 100 miles. Regardless of whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, I got some options for you. So, this race was. Important to me in the sense that it was going to be my first kind of major test, I would say from just my goal activity standpoint, as to how well my ankle is doing from a progression standpoint, I was pretty confident this was going to go well, because I did put it through a pretty rigorous training buildup. So with that came a lot of confidence that it wasn't going to be an issue on the day or flare up. But what I was kind of the most interested in is how is it going to respond? post run, because when I originally heard it, it didn't actually bother me at all on the run that I did it and presumably injured it on. Uh, it was really like after it it started lock up, tighten up, swell up the next swelled up the next day. And, and, you know, then I was like looking for all the solutions and stuff after that, at that point. So, uh, knowing after the race, like, how is it going to respond versus the rest of my body? Now running hundred miles has a certain amount of, uh, impact on your body, no matter what. So there's going to be soreness aches and pains, uh, in all sorts of areas in your lower body after the race. But I wanted to kind of pair that up with a, well, how's it doing compared to my left ankle? How's it doing relative to other areas of my body? Was it a point of weakness, a point of strength or neutral and, and really tease out some of the stuff and kind of test. What have I been doing that's been proactive or, or maybe not working in terms of taking steps in the right direction with that. So that was a big goal. Another goal was just to take a big swing. So in 2018, I ran this race in and ran 12 hours and eight minutes there. Uh, I was happy with that result, but I also knew when I kind of reflected on the race, looked at where my splits kind of played out and how everything really went. There were some correctable mistakes that I could probably save some time on. So my thought was if I can produce a similar effort as I did in 2018, but without the mistakes, I should be able to take a good chunk of time off of that. And since I'd already ran 1208, I didn't really see a whole lot of value for me personally to just kind of go out there and and target something maybe a little less aggressive uh, so I kind of went for it. I think this course or I went in thinking this course was possible to go under 11 and a half hours on. I still do think that, uh, but it's a very aggressive goal for me to do that. So I, a lot of things had to go right. I had to be really precise with pacing in order to get that goal. And I really couldn't make any major mistakes or have things, uh, not pan out the way I expected them in order to hit that goal. But I was okay, risking having a bad day in order to try to get that you know, that higher end performance goal there. Uh, so that's kind of where I went in or what my strategy was kind of thinking, uh, in terms of pacing at the start. And then ultimately just outside of the ankle health and durability, just confirm where I'm at, where I need to go. So this has been a really light racing year for me, and it's kind of been paired up with a really light racing 2022, just due to all the COVID measures and things. So, I kind of wanted to get a little bit of a, you know, baseline as to like, where am I at from a racing standpoint? And what have I lost without the frequency of racing that I would normally have that I'll need to kind of tune up on or relearn or remind myself of and that sort of stuff. So, uh, I wanted to kind of have a performance where I could say, okay, here's where I'm at and this is where I want to be. And these are the steps I need to do to kind of close that gap. Uh, so, that was kind of my thought process heading into the race. Now the race itself. So when I started, I'm usually paying pretty close attention to kind of how my effort is feeling and what pace that is producing. Uh, Cause it's kind of going to give me a bit of a gauge as to how things may play out throughout the course of the day. And, you know, you never really want a situation where the perceived effort feels a little more difficult than it should. And I have enough hundred mile experience, especially in this, like kind of 11 to 13 hour range of like what type of effort I can kind of get away with. That's not like egregiously too fast, where it's going to really cost me at the end of the race. So I'm paying attention to that and watching the splits to make sure they pair up. So like a warning sign would maybe be, this is the effort I presumed I would start at, but it's producing a pace that's 10 to 15 seconds per mile slower than what I expected. Or what I want to avoid in that situation is I'm running the pace I expected to do, but the perceived effort is a notch higher than it would normally be at those efforts for a hundred mile race. Those things all checked out early on. I felt great, felt smooth. It was actually really a little nostalgic running at Tunnel Hill. It's in Southern Illinois. And they had all the fall colors and stuff out there. So it was a little little bit of a reminder of kind of just, you know, when I used to train in the Midwest for cross country and things like that, the fall season was always a great exciting time to be out there and enjoy enjoy that activity. So uh, that first uh, first section was was kind of fun to see all of that. But the way the course kind of plays out is, obviously it's a hundred miles, and it's broken up into two major out and backs. The first out and back, is just under 27 miles total so you go out uh just under 13 and a half miles and then you come back to where the start and finish is and then there's another out and back that is just a shade over 23 miles and you go through that one that one has the small hill on it so it's not a significant hill for the trail runners out there but if you're someone like myself or someone who does like track timed events it's enough where you're gonna have to account for it because it's not gonna be a zero Foot gain and loss type of situation, like you're going to get on a track. Uh, and that out and back gets you back to the start-finish line and puts you at 50 miles, and you just repeat it. You do that first out and back again and the second out and back again. So once you hit mile 50, you've seen the scene the entire course and you kind of know what's what's coming up. So I felt strong through that first out and back, didn't have any reason to really adjust race strategy or anything like that. Felt very strong going up on that second out and back and then coming back down the hill. I felt like maybe I wasn't going quite as fast on the downhill section as I would have liked, but I'm also trying to pair that with the the relative position in the course that that is at. So that's between 40 and 50 miles. And, you know, when I ran my best hundred miler, I felt the worst at mile 40. So I'm trying to be like mindful of like, am I doing the right things? Uh, Am I, am I getting, is my nutrition and hydration going well? Are all these things kind of checking off? And is this just like, uh, do I stay the course or throttle back? I didn't see any major signs at that point that I should be kind of pulling back on my, on my pacing or strategy in order to, you know, salvage a, a slower than expected time, but still my best day for that particular event. When I got through the halfway point, I split five hours and 47 minutes. So I was pretty happy with that split. Uh, you know, that would put me right around 11 and a half hour pace if I was able to even negative split, um, which was kind of the idea going in, the goal was to obviously run for an aggressive time, but when I'm targeting aggressive time, I think it's even that much more important to be dialed in on an even split approach or slightly positive or slightly negative. So like, when I say slightly, I'm talking like a few minutes, uh, and i think really like that's the only way to do it in a way that is going to really maximize that if that is your true peak potential. so if i determine going in i can go say 11 and a half hours but not a second faster, then i don't want to be splitting that first half any faster probably than like a 540 545. or i'm sorry, 5 yeah, 545 45. um or it's just probably going to pay it back in the back end of the race. So I was pretty happy with that split. I felt decent. I actually feel like I felt a little better than I did in 2018 through the halfway mark. So at that point I was thinking to myself, all right, I should be able to maintain, you know, a pace or effort that's going to get me you know, faster than I arrived at the finish line in 2018. And, and that was kind of reassuring. So then I had it out on head back out on the, Um, on that first out and back for a second time. And my pace and effort slowed during that next out and back, but not to like a major degree that I expected that I would blow up, but enough that I started to think like, all right, I could probably still get safely under 12 hours. Um, But 1130 or under 1130 is kind of off the table at that point, but it didn't feel like it was going to be like something where, I blow up so drastically that I like, you know, lose, lose chunks of time at the end. And, uh, that kind of basically continued through that entire out and back. I felt really strong actually for about a section between maybe 65 and 75 miles. And, and that was kind of reassuring because then I'm thinking, okay, this last out and back, I just need to really focus on that. I'm at that point in the race that I really like to get to, which is, Within the range of my long run that I'd done for building up, because then I can kind of like switch my mind from I'm running 100 miles today to I'm just running one more long run. Let's get one more quality long run in the books here. Uh, so that's kind of where my mind was going at that point. However, <laughs> the final out and back proved to be the biggest challenge for me on that day. So I ended up running that second out and back, which was about 23 and a half miles about an hour slower the second time than I did the first time. So that is a massive positive split for those who are kind of wondering how that usually plays out in a perfect scenario. Like I run that as fast or maybe a little faster than the first time. Uh, if I had a race, like I did at the Pettit Center in 2019, that's how that would have played out. And the reason i like this course, For that is because you do get that slight downhill on the way back down. So it's really even that much more conducive to closing strong that last 11 and a half to 12 miles when you're kind of reversing and coming back to the finish line for the final time. But I just, I just had the worst time running. Like the, I was, I was running a lot of nine minute miles and it just felt like there was, you know, my legs were, my legs were just toast. So, um, the next question then is like, what do i do about that uh it's 100 miles so we're always guessing to a degree and it's likely never one thing but there are a couple things that when i'm reflecting back on this and just now that i have the knowledge of how my body felt throughout the day what i think i will want to be doing for my next 100 miler that i target a pace or a goal time that aggressive or what i should be doing and the two things that i've kind of pinpointed is I might've just needed a bit more volume days, like higher volume days to kind of hold up for the duration of hundred miles or feel like I had the strength and the ability to like just maintain good form and stay mentally optimistic about what I was about to do uh, for a little bit longer. So like whether that means just getting a few more long run days out there or another round of uh, like maybe another three or four week block of long runs, I think that may have really helped me kind of close that gap a little bit. And the wheels wouldn't have come off quite as drastically. The other thing that I think is probably the bigger piece to the puzzle, though, is just doing some tune-up races. So I had a similar situation to this in 2017, where I got injured in the spring around April and took off a couple months, essentially, and then started to kind of build back up and just targeted a race, did a full thorough buildup, no racing. And then I did the Javelina hundred and it, it played out similarly in that. I was struggling the most at the end. I didn't blow up quite as badly there as I did here, but it, it was the same kind of like mental and physical feel afterwards, where it seemed like I just needed to have a couple more tests that were going to be a little bit longer than my standard long run. Uh, but not quite a hundred miles. So doing some 50 milers or hundred kilometer races uh, would have been maybe something that would have gotten me a little sharper and a little better able to tolerate that back half of the race itself. So I think that's probably gonna be my next step forward. We'll be doing some shorter ultras and getting a few of those under my belt and then target another fast hundred miler. So that is typically what I do do. Well, when I'm in a normal year, so anything, but 2020, 2021 now, and then 2017, the rest of those years, you know, I would do like 50 milers as tune-up races leading into the event itself. There is some, there's some value in talking about kind of how you should structure that though, because I see this go wrong a lot too. You're definitely taking some risks by doing that because if I'm in a training block And I want to get certain amount of training and I'm looking for certain markers in certain workouts to get done before I arrive at the starting line of a goal race, doing something that's a 50 miler or hundred K is going to likely take some training off the table. So it has to square with that. So I like to put it during the phase of training, usually where I'm focusing mostly on race goal intensities and a lot more low intensity volume than I am speed work and things like that. Uh, because it's just going to impact those type of workouts much less than to say, if I had to do like short intervals, three days after a 50 mile or something like that, which for me would be a recipe for injury. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, like finding like some races like that, and then holding yourself accountable, not to going all out this is the biggest potential error there. You put yourself in an event scenario, they line everyone up and they start everyone and it's, I mean, it's a race. So there are people there who are going to be trying to maximize their potential and it might be their A race. You have to stay true to what the goals are. And for me, that's usually kind of keeping it around 80% of what I think I'd be capable of or just taking it a notch down of what I think I could do if I had to in an event like that. But doing a couple of those leading in and if you can do that, I think those are a really good strategy, uh, to kind of get that, that type of structure. There are ways to kind of hack that a little bit. If you're a little nervous that once that race starts, you're going to like just go all out because, I mean, some people are like that. They just, you know, when they're at a race setting, it's like all or nothing. I'm, I'm going for it. I can't hold back for those folks. I think there may be some value in structuring if they find that they're in a situation like myself, where some longer efforts are going to put them in a position to better perform. You can simulate these things. Like, I mean, you could in theory go and just do a 50 miler on your own without having a race setting there. If you need to eliminate that, that driver to, to try to go too fast. And in that case, you can definitely kind of keep yourself under control a little bit easier for me, I like doing the events just because they offer some things that are unique to a race experience that you're not going to get in training, like what do I do the night before the race? How do I like manage my, my nighttime routine? So I sleep well that night. What do I do in the morning when I wake up practicing pre-race nutrition and things like that. And then also just aid station navigation, practicing your race fueling strategy in like a very specific environment, or these are all things that I like to kind of use those type of things for. Hey folks, just a quick reminder, this episode sponsors include Bioptimizers Magnesium Breakthrough and you can get 10% off with promo code HUMAN10 at bioptimizers.com forward slash HUMAN or by heading to ZachBitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Also, if you're looking for some structure in your training, check out some of my ready-made plans at Zachbitter.com. One more thing to do with the race itself was just kind of my, my fueling strategy. Cause I know a lot of people are going to be interested in kind of what it was I was doing there. Uh, I went in with a plan to kind of have a 50, 50 split between like liquid calories and solids. That's typically what I do. And I usually try to contrast the flavor profile of that. I'm always going to make these fuels carbohydrate. The majority of them carbohydrate, because as we've talked about on this podcast in the past, regardless of whether you're really fat adapted, or if you're someone who follows a moderate to high carbohydrate diet, the goal is the same on race day. And that's defending your small fuel tank, which is your muscle glycogen. Uh, even someone like myself who follows a low carbohydrate diet, I'm still going to be tapping into my muscle glycogen during the race itself. And over the course of a hundred miles, that is, uh, a number that I could easily deplete if I'm just not fueling at all or not taking in any carbohydrate. So for me, historically talking about 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrate is about the sweet spot for me. It doesn't create stomach issues in almost any situation at that frequency, but it's it's plenty to defend muscle glycogen based on my fat, that oxidation test set intensities that are similar to what I would do for a race like this. So I did a blend between S fuels race plus, and just some like salty crackers for the salad, And that was kind of my go-to or baseline. I kind of like, I did a little bit of fluctuation with that. And the one thing you notice when you're running all day like that is if you have a very like plug and play type of plan, like that, there's a point where it may benefit just to deviate from it a little bit for bits and pieces of the race, just to give yourself a little bit of change and, and variance. So I did kind of switch out some of the crackers with some, like some small peanut butter sandwiches, uh, in one case. And then I did some diluted soda for a little bit too in there just to change things up a little bit, get a little bit of caffeine in along the way. And then I also had, uh, element lime is what I use for my electrolyte when I wasn't, uh, taking in anything but water. So I would also be drinking, you know, plain water alongside the the race plus by S fuels and, uh, when I would be doing that, I'd want to make sure it wasn't, it was fortified with electrolytes. So I took, um, I would have to stick a gallon of water that I would put a couple packets of element in there to, to add some of the electrolyte to it. So nutritionally, my stomach felt fine. I didn't have any issues with that. Uh, I didn't feel like I was bonking or anything from a nutritional standpoint. I think I just, got a little over my skis with the goal in terms of what I was actually ready for versus what I thought I was ready for. And, uh, there's plenty to learn in these situations. Uh, big takeaway regarding just where my ankle is at was, uh, it feels great. It was funny. Actually, I finished the race and the days after hundred miles are always interesting. So it's pretty rare that you sleep well the next, that night. Um, you know, most people are going to run through the night for a hundred mile myself included on a lot of courses. Uh, you get situations like tunnel Hill or track events where I can run in in around 12 hours. And, uh, it's uh, a situation where in theory I could get a full night's sleep, but you just never do. So, uh, I ended up sleeping maybe like two hours that night. So Sunday, I just felt like miserable, like just a, a wreck, everything hurt. Everything was sore. Um, I didn't notice though that my right ankle was any more worse for the wear than any other area of my body i ended up sleeping maybe like 14 hours that next night so uh that i felt significantly better after that and i actually felt like my right ankle was the least sore out of everything my left ankle was actually maybe a little more sore than my right ankle uh my quads were probably the sorest uh that tells me that the strength work i've been doing and the rehab stuff is you know, put it in a position where it was able to tolerate a pretty big, uh, stimulus from, from that hundred mile without it aggravating, uh, though, though that area that it hurt, which were two partially torn ligaments on both sides of my ankle back in July. So that's a huge, huge win for me. um, other things with the race itself. So race outcome, obviously that's a competition too. It wasn't all just about what my goals are. There's the added benefit or the added, uh, part of their other racers out there trying to have their, their days and, uh, perform at a high level. So I was leading the race the entire way until the final mile final mile. I got passed by Phil young, who, uh, who just had a beautiful close. He closed the last three miles in under 20 minutes or right around 20 minutes, I think it was. So when he went past me, it was like, he went past me. And then it felt like two seconds later, he was already hundred yards ahead. Uh, so he ran an incredible finish. I think he was in third place actually when, uh, when he got to that final turnaround. So he went from third to first in that 11 and a half miles and, and just executed a really, really strong race. His time was like a 1244. Mine was like a 1247. And shortly after me, the third place male came in, Jacob Moss, who he had kind of a similar day to me, as far as I can tell. We ran together a bit in the beginning, um, that first out and back. And then I pulled a bit ahead of him, but I wasn't like significantly ahead of him. Uh, then uh, he had a stronger close than I did for sure, but he must have hit some some rough patches in there from when we ran together to when we finished just because I hit some big rough patches at the end there. And we were at a similar finishing time. And it's just interesting to kind of like, when you look back at race pacing and things like that, where were the spots where other people struggled and where were the spots where you struggled and how does that kind of all add up to put you at where you're at and where they're at. But, uh, that is kind of how things played out with, with, the uh, the race result itself. So it's really tight finish in terms of like how close you don't often have Flat runnable hundred milers where you're seeing three guys finish within five, 10 minutes. We had uh, a situation like that on the women's field at, at the USHF road, hundred mile championships, where the three women were all tight within, you know, a handful of minutes of one another. And it just make it makes for an exciting finish for anyone following along. Uh, so that's tunnel Hill next steps for me is I'll usually do a two week recovery phase after a race like this, a race that I'm targeting. And I do this just to kind of confirm that I'm ready to get back into training and make sure everything is kind of heading in the right direction. So the first week I have zero accountability to myself in terms of what I should be doing running wise. I don't do any structured running. Nothing is like I need to go out and get a 30 minute run in today or i need to do this workout or that workout i might take all seven of those days completely off if i feel like really excited to go out and go for a run i might do it but i'm gonna do it at a very slow very easy pace i'm gonna be paying super close attention to like what is still a little lagging behind what feels like it's mostly recovered and then i'm also paying attention to my mental state is this exciting does this does this feel like i want to be out here or do i feel like i'm forcing this because I think a mistake that gets overlooked a lot of times with ultra runners is skeletal muscles heal pretty quick. And then they feel like, okay, I'm I'm physically able to run again, but mentally they're just not ready to jump into another like four month buildup or six month buildup or whatever their timeline happens to be. So getting into that too early, Can put them in a position where they get halfway through their next training block and they're just not mentally like as excited to go through the rigors of the training again and then they can't really go back and give themselves an extra couple weeks to start they're kind of like stuck in this this gray area at that point so i'm paying close attention to that uh the second week i might start adding a little bit of structure but it's going to be very low structure it's going to be super low volume probably no intensity on the running side of things I might start introducing some strength work, uh things like that just to test things out, but they're going to be really really small goals, just enough structure to make it feel like I'm starting to kind of like try to answer some questions through the act of running. Now, if I do that and go out for say that first run and it's just I'm starting to I'm not really mentally with it, I don't really want to be out there yet and physically I'm still a little little tight, a little sore in areas, then I might do a whole nother week. Like I did in that first week and just revert back to no structure, take another week off let my body and my mind really refresh. It's really rare that I need to revert back by that second week. Historically, it's always been like, you know, a few really easy running days in there. You get an idea of like, what's, what's strong, what's still weak, uh, what you maybe need to focus on for that next build up and things like that. And the excitement starts to really build by the end of that second week. And by the third, I'm usually really excited to start putting the pieces together for a gradual buildup into whatever's next. And I think sometimes if you don't do a gradual buildup, it's where people get into trouble with only two weeks. If you're like, I'm going to get right back into it and start training like relatively high volume and add some intensity on that first week back. I think that's probably a little too, it will be too aggressive for me anyway. So I'm usually pretty mindful of still having a really reduced volume and intensity, framework and that, that next week back after that. So that's kind of what my timeline is looking like right now. I'll likely race again in early 2022. If I did anything before the start of 2022, it would probably be a scenario where I get back into that first week of training uh, and I'm feeling really good. And I feel like, oh, tunnel Hill, like, just shot a bunch of uh, adrenaline to me, and uh, my body just needed to go through that paces to remember what all that is. And now, if I get back out on a race, I'll be able to better execute. There's a small chance that would maybe happen. It would almost certainly probably be something shorter though than 100 miles. I would be using it as like what I said before, like as a as a way to kind of just build up that strength to be able to tolerate that longer distance stuff, and and hopefully clean up that back part of uh, whatever future hundred mile I end up doing. But that's what I got for that. So uh, if you are interested in anything that I did not cover, feel free to shoot me a note on my social media channels or reaching out to me via email. All that stuff can be found in the show notes. But otherwise, everyone have a great holiday season and enjoy whatever races you got on the calendar. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Alright folks, if you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.